Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Welcome to River Cafe Table 4, a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. As an American living in Britain, a visit to London by Congressman Adam Schiff is a big deal. That we gave dinner for him in our house was a great honor. Adam was on the way back from Ukraine, meeting with Zelensky. And over pasta and winter vegetables, he talked to us about world we are living in, food shortages, child poverty, and food insecurity. Today we'll continue, but also talk about the food he grew up with, the food he cooks for his family, the food he personally finds comforting. Adam, will you begin by reading a recipe you've chosen from River Cafe Cookbook 30? So I've got uh, a wonderful recipe for spaghetti. I happen to love pasta, and my favorite is spaghetti or angel hair, so... This is a perfect recipe for me to share with you. Spaghetti, <laughs> raw tomato, and arugula, or as you you would say in Britain, rocket. Rocket. So, spaghetti, 320 grams. Plum tomatoes, you'll need four of those. Uh, you'll need two garlic cloves. A dried chili, just uh, one dried chili, unless you like it really spicy. Capers, two tablespoons. Black olives, three tablespoons. Now, I'm not a huge olive fan, but... It does work great in spaghetti. Arugula, uh, you'll have three leaves and three tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil. So you will cut the tomatoes in half, squeeze out the excess juice and seeds, and chop the flesh coarsely. Peel the garlic and squash with one teaspoon of sea salt. Then you'll crumble the chili, rinse the capers, and stone the olives. Then you'll roughly chop the arugula. Finally, combine the tomatoes with all the ingredients except for the arugula. Season generously, add the olive oil, and put aside for 30 minutes. You cook the spaghetti in boiling salted water until al dente. Then drain and stir the pasta into the tomatoes. Add the arugula and toss to coat each strand. Season with black pepper. Serve with olive oil and Beautifully read. I always think your recipe is half science and half poetry. So there you go. You read it as a poem. It was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Glad I didn't read it as a scientist. Beautiful. One of the things that I really love about you is that I think you're a really good eater. I (laughs) wish I was not a good eater, but I do love food. Yeah, that's what I mean. I meet people from time to time that can kind of take or leave eating. I don't mm. understand them. Mm. I think they're I think they're from another planet. Tell me about growing up in the uh, Schiff household. What was it like food-wise? I think this is why I love to go out to eat, because when I was a kid, it was such a rarity. And I always uh, uh, like to claim to my wife, because, you know, only a husband can make this claim, that I'm the ideal husband because I don't want a home-cooked meal. Mm. Uh, I really love going out. Uh, You're not distracted by the phone ringing. uh, You're not distracted by the TV or this kid wants to run off to do homework instead of finishing Mm. the meal. 
And so you're, you're at a table, uh, you're just focused on each other uh, and the food. Uh, but I think it, part of it is that it was a rarity when I was growing up. My mother was a good cook, but didn't like to cook. But nonetheless, we ate at home all the time. And my father was a traveling salesman in the Schmata business, and mm-hmm. the building business. And it was a big deal when, uh, when we could go out and uh, to one of our favorite restaurants. I think that it's changed so much because I also grew up where you went out to dinner if somebody graduated from high school or there was a birthday or an anniversary. Now, having a restaurant, I just see people eating all the time. They come with their children. They come on a Friday night with their their parents. They use a restaurant in a very different way than we did, I think. I think that's right. And because... My mother didn't like to cook. Um, a lot of our meals were very kind of standard fare. Tell me about them. What did she cook? Uh, you know, uh, a lot of canned food, to be honest. Mm. But uh, my favorite meal that my mother used to make was uh, something that she she made using these little boneless chicken pieces that she breaded. Mm. She made it with a side of spaghetti, and they were breaded with cheese on them. So it was kind of like a mini chicken parmesan with spaghetti. Mm. Mm. But I guess my strongest memories in childhood of food were of the high holidays when we get together with my grandparents, and they would make a great big meal. Were they born in the United States, or were they immigrants from another country? My father was an immigrant from London. Uh, His parents immigrated from Eastern Europe. My other grandparents were born in the United States, but uh, their parents, uh, my great-grandparents, uh, all came from Eastern Europe. But uh, when we get together for the holidays, it would be a lot of matzo ball soup and chali bread and brisket. And uh, it was quite a feast, hmm. including a lot of that I didn't want to go near, like chopped liver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that'll do it. There is an eternal debate in Jewish households. Uh, about whether matzo balls should be light and fluffy <laughs> or should be the kind that when you drop them, they go through the floor. I just want to state uh, unequivocally, without hesitation, uh, they, they need to be the kind that, that fall through the floor. The suspense was killing me as you were telling this. I was going to think, what is he going to go for, falling through the floor or light and fluffy? I did think you might choose light and fluffy, but I will. Uh, it has to be that really heavy sinking feeling. Yeah. As a politician, sometimes we have to make difficult decisions. Yes, um, I know. And I am firmly, firmly in the camp of the very uh, substantial, very heavy matzo ball uh, that uh, you know when you've eaten it and, uh, <laughs> and it doesn't get lost in the broth. If you're interested in eating, were you interested in cooking? When I did cook, I was frankly, as a kid and, and through adulthood, uh, at the barbecue. Ah, uh. That's very male. That's very. That's kind of. I always think when men feel that they can cook because of the barbecue. Yes. <laughs> when you barbecued, what did you do? Uh, you know, my my cooking uh, pre-pandemic was pretty basic fare. And what happened in in the pandemic? Well, I you know we were not going out to eat, and it was mm-hmm. a huge lifestyle change among other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I. I got myself a few gadgets. Uh, you know, I think this is also a male thing. You like to yeah. cook with gadgets. Yeah, yeah, we love a gadget. Yeah. I got an air fryer and I got a, a pressure cooker. I started making uh, curry uh, tofu in the pressure cooker mm-hmm. uh, with uh, vegetables and potatoes. And it, it seemed to be 
uh, a pretty uh, fail-safe device uh, in terms of coming out well. And likewise, mm-hmm. the air fryer. I have to tell you a funny story. I was at a political event in Los Angeles, and I gave my speech, and then a brand new assembly member uh, went up to the microphone, a real uh, sharp up-and-comer. He was uh, saying some nice things about me, and then he said, uh, and I got some of the most important advice from Congressman Schiff when I was getting started. So the most important advice I've ever gotten, and I was waiting to hear what, what sage political advice I'd given him. And he said, he told me to get an air fryer. <laughs> <laughs> This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Help helps is a maxim I believe in. We all carry around stress and hardship, and when we keep it inside, it starts to chip away. Therapy is a safe place, and therapy is for everyone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ruthie today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ruthie. BetterHelp.com slash Ruthie. I used to have so many men... How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men (laughs) because she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You've just come back from Ukraine. Did you experience the food shortage and challenges? We did. We discussed this with uh, President Zelensky uh, when we sat down with him. Uh, this was a congressional delegation that Speaker Pelosi led, uh, as it turned out, the first uh, congressional delegation to Ukraine since the war. And one of the things that was apparent to us before we left, but became much more apparent as we discussed the issue, is that when the Russians blockaded Odessa, They were not only trying to cripple Ukraine's economy, but as Ukraine has been the breadbasket of Europe and provided a lot of the grain to Africa and other places as well, the Russians were also blockading food that a lot of people uh, needed to survive. And Mm. it caused not only uh, a great increase in food prices, but also risks starvation uh, in many places that really have relied on Ukraine for their grain. And so part of the appeal that Zelensky was making for uh, the weapons that he needs to sink that Black Sea fleet and uh, the equipment he needs to do demining was this is important to Ukraine. It's important to to our economy, but it's also important 
to the rest of the world because the real food shortage issue. What do you think it will be like in, in Egypt, in North Africa? What is going to happen when they can't get their food? You know, it, it certainly risks great instability. And just in its own right, of course, it risks starvation. And I think it's one of the reasons we have to do everything we can to try to bring this war uh, in Ukraine to an end. You know, sadly, it's hard to see that path. Uh, I think it does require us to give Ukraine what it needs to defend itself, uh, to increase the costs on Russia so the Russian people see the folly of what their dictator has Mm -hmm. done. But this tragic war has had a lot of repercussions. And one of those I think the the world at least understands is the impact it it has on people's ability to get enough to eat in, in many parts of the world. What do we do now? What are your major concerns in terms of poverty, inequality? You know, I think that we have experienced a revolution in the economy, in the global economy. Uh, as a function of globalization, but also automation. And the result is that, you know, millions of people in the million in the middle class are at risk of falling out. Uh, a lot of working families have to work harder than ever to try to get in the middle class. Uh, at the same time, these structural changes in the economy have produced a very great concentrated wealth. So while we have students in our colleges who can't get enough to eat, we have captains mm-hmm. of literally uh, flying into space on tourist trips. I agree. You are very vocal and very concerned and very politically engaged in food inequality. When I think it's 17 million of our children in the United States are faced with hunger every day. It really is extraordinary. And um, I had a meeting some years ago, this was before the pandemic, with a group of community college students from my district. And they were talking to me about, uh, and it came up in a kind of an offhanded way about uh, the food banks they had on campus for students. And I was astonished that each of them, and they were going to three different community colleges, all had food banks on campus. This was still before the pandemic. So the economy was strong, far stronger than during the recession and fully recovered. And yet the hunger was greater than ever. And it really pointed to, to me of some strong structural problems uh, in the economy that even when it was doing well, it wasn't doing well for millions and millions of people mm. uh, to the point that uh, college kids, uh, you know, not only at community college, but the state colleges at the private universities mm. were going hungry. So I um, uh, introduced a bill to try to expand the free and reduced lunch program that we have in K-12 up through community college. Uh, And that was the genesis of the Food for Thought Act. And we've been working to get that uh, passed ever since and and trying to address uh, broader issues of hunger and homelessness uh, as well. Mm. In in Britain, in the pandemic, what became very clear was that when schools were closed, there were enormous number of children who were not having lunch and therefore had depended on lunch as their meal for the day. Did you find that in the United States as well? Absolutely. And, and what we discovered is that schools, these, these kindergarten through high schools, were uh, one of the major providers of food, as it turned mm. out, mm. to low-income families. And when those schools closed and people went to remote learning, suddenly these families didn't have meals. Yeah. These kids didn't have mm. meals. So 
what a, a lot of our schools did, and, and I visited so many of these sites in my own district and participated, mm-hmm. is they would prepare meals and families would drive up in their car. Yeah. Yeah. We would ask how many kids do they have? Uh, and we would give them the number of meals for the kids and their family that they would have had if they were in school. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell me about the road from being a barbecue of meat and fish to being vegan. What is your vegan story? Well, my cholesterol has been high, and I tried uh, medication like statins, but they didn't mm-hmm. uh, sit well with me. I couldn't tolerate them very well. So my wife, who is a very healthy eater, suggested I try being vegan. And mm-hmm. I'd been vegan for about three days when I was in my district. And I was at an event. And of course, at any event in Los Angeles, you talk about food. Mm. Uh, I was talking about a a great restaurant I'd been to called Crossroads. And the person I was talking to recognized it was a vegan restaurant. And she said to me, can I tell people here you're vegan? Mm. Uh, And I thought that was kind of a strange question. Why would people be interested in that? (laughs) And then, then I realized where I was. I was in West Hollywood at an animal welfare event. Oh, I see. Oh, yes. I guess that is kind of a big deal at an animal Mm -hmm. welfare event. And I said, well, I've only been vegan, uh, to be honest, for three days. And if you tell people, I'm going to be pretty locked in. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I need the incentive. Go ahead, tell people. Mm -hmm. So that was six years ago. And, uh, you know, I do allow myself to cheat from time to time, the truth be told. When you cheat, what do you go for? I usually cheat when I'm traveling because it's hard for me to always find vegan food. Uh, So I... I try not to be too tough on myself. I also cheat during Thanksgiving. 
because I, I had my first Thanksgiving as a vegan and it was just an awful experience. You had just cranberry sauce and vegetables and no turkey. We were actually out at a um, place in Pennsylvania, nice uh, little place for the weekend. Our kids were with us and we had ordered in advance two vegan meals and then two traditional uh, turkey dinners. You know, our family is kind of isolated in D.C. We don't have other family there. So we often have Thanksgiving out or at friends. And they brought these two beautiful plates for our kids. And then yeah. they our own plates. And it looked like uh, someone had opened a Gerber's baby food yeah. jar and poured it on the plate. And it uh, was not at all satisfying. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, on Thanksgiving, I'm going to make an exception. Do you know when I talked to Paul McCartney who about being a vegetarian, when he and Linda, his late wife, became vegetarians, they said that the first Christmas they had, they made a macaroni and cheese, but they shaped it into a turkey and carved it. <laughs> I have a challenge for your listeners, if I can. Okay. On behalf of vegans the world over, and that is how to make a good vegan pizza. Okay. I really have yet to find one that I really like because most of the places you go to use a kind of a diet cheese, which is made mm -hmm. of coconut oil. It doesn't taste anything like the real thing. So I put this up there with the heart lung machine. If somebody can invent a <laughs> vegan pizza. We do just beautiful, you know, cooked tomato sauce with a pizza. You don't have to have a cheesy pizza. I don't know how you substitute cheese for cheese. I think substitutes are, Tricky, aren't they? One of the things about this restaurant is we're really good for vegetarians and for vegans because the Italian diet that that we serve is so vegetable-based. So when you come in, there are big, huge plates of, you know, braised artichokes or chard or pumpkins, whatever the season is. And so if somebody says, I'm vegan, it's actually not much Oh, of a that problem. sounds wonderful. So we'll do that. And so I suppose my last question to you is that if food is is love and food is sharing and food is alleviating hunger. It also is comfort. What would be your comfort food? I think my <laughs> comfort food, uh, to, to, to go back where we started with the uh, original recipe, uh, is pasta. Pasta. I think mm -hmm. pasta is hard to beat. I have so many fond memories of it uh, as a kid, through adulthood, having pasta when I travel. Uh, there's nothing more comfortable than a great, um, Italian meal uh, with with some wine and some bread and and worrying about the carbs tomorrow. Okay, and so when you come to London in September, we'll have pasta together. Promise? Uh, you run. <laughs> Lots of love to you. Thank you, Adam. Thank Such you a very pleasure. Much. Lots of love. But tell me about what an air fryer is, because actually, I don't, I'm not sure I know this gadget. Well, an air fryer uh, has a, a pot that circulates air, uh, the device circulates air around the basket or the pot, and it is like deep frying, yeah. but you're using air, so there's mm. no oil. Uh, so it's kind of a healthy version <laughs> of frying. To visit the online shop of the River Cafe, go to shoptherivercafe.co.uk. River Cafe Table 4 is a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, 
Visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.